Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode 15 where we revisit and rank the living daylights. With Bond and Carl safely in Austria, it's time to be introduced to Brad Whitaker, a weapons dealer with a slightly unusual collection. Join us as we take a look and eventually add the living daylights to our rankings. So yeah, so they have now entered Austria and we cut to them being in the city or we get some aerial shots of the city. I'm not too sure what city this is. Oh no, this isn't Austria, is it? We get a, a scene before that. Oh, in Tangier, yeah. Tangier, yeah. So actually we, we so they've made it to Austria. So we cut to Tangier and we get a load of aerial shots of the city and we see these two black cars arrive at this very big fancy looking white house. Um, house that is white that is um, and opposite we see a man taking pictures there are some birds in this scene we haven't pointed out all the birds but there was a parrot earlier that we failed to mention well, you know who that was oh oh what was his name it was max max oh i knew it began with m i was gonna say mike <laughs> mike the parrot <laughs> mike the parrot yeah we did see a parrot so still lots of birds here guys don't worry so oh yeah we see Pushkin get out of the car as somebody is watching him and taking pictures and enter into this big house. And he enters this room and it has lots of different dictators in it. It's got Napoleon, it's got Julius Caesar, it's got a uh, Genghis Khan, I believe. And also Hitler? Yeah, Hitler's there. Uh, so if you've got Hitler on your Bond bingo cards, tick that off now, because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> If you ask me, though, that's a fun trivia question. Which James Bond film has Hitler in it? It's like, I, none of them, I don't think. Mm, but no, the answer is The Living Daylights. That's a fun trivia thing for the, for everyone. Oh, yeah. Swastika and everything. Yeah, there. yeah, right there. Um, so, yeah, so Pushkin's there in this hall and a man, an American, comes out who's called Brad Whitaker. Um, introduces himself and Pushkin says, why do you have all these butchers here because these are all like models of these dictators like a real real person-sized models of all these um, and he's like these are all butchers of which brad says no they're they're surgeons and these are all different commanders so he has a lot of respect for these people and they go into the next room and we see all these models and all these sets of these different historic battles the battle of waterloo i think there's a battle of from afghan as well and very like a museum like these are all in cases uh, but this guy is a massive war nut and is really into battles and has this very kind of yeah museum-like display of all these and pushkin says the weapon order that we made before i think for missiles i want to say that's cancelled we don't want that anymore and he says like yeah they want to cancel the order i think the money is it like five I think it's like 50 million. 50 million. Yeah, I was going to say 5 billion, but for 80s, that sounds a bit much. But yeah, 50 million dollars uh, is the, the price of this order. And Brad kind of says, well, I've already started doing this. You can't cancel an order. I've already started getting all this sorted for you. Uh, and Pushkin says, well, we've looked into you and you haven't made any payments of money. Um, like there's no payments have been moved here. So it doesn't look like you actually have. Uh, and he's, Brad then makes a point about being in the army and things like that and, and being very loyal. And Pushkin also says, no, 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 you're, what army did you actually serve in? We looked you up and you're just a criminal, like a weapons dealer. 
but not actually in the army. You're just kind of a criminal. So Pushkin says, we want the money in two days. And I think he's, does he say Kuskos name here? He does. He does link the two together somehow because I think. Yeah. I think Whitaker had supplied arms to Koskov in the past, or something yeah. along that line. So I think together. Pushkin knows that Kuskov made this order, and he doesn't know what's going on, but he knows something's going on. So he's all like, "Your schemes are over now," um, because Kuskov made this order to Whitaker, and Pushkin is now stepping in. That's basically it. Uh, this is our intro- introduction to Brad Whitaker, the weapons dealer. It's another kind of confusing scene where yeah, it yeah. totally makes sense now that I've seen the rest of the film. But yeah, we've now been introduced to another guy. And also we get a lot of Pushkin in this scene, which I like Pushkin a lot. Uh, but we haven't really got a good sense of this man. So we're kind of figuring out who Pushkin is while also figuring out who Brad Whitaker is while they're also talking about Kushkov at the same time. And this weapons order that we've never heard of up to this point, it's... um. It's not bad, but it's just like the other ones, a little bit confusing. Very easy to get lost. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not saying that films have to be dumbed down to such a such a level, but with previous Bond films and the villains, it's generally you know where the villain, like where you stand with the villains, right? <laughs> you might see them early on or you might hear of them early on and they're going to be the bad guy. At the moment in this film, as you say, there's all these names going around. There's this Whittaker guy. There's Pushkin. We don't know if Pushkin's actually, you know, is he good? Is he bad? Is Ko- who's this Koskov? He's meant to be good at the moment. We don't know what's going on. So you definitely do have to just, like, put a pin in a lot of this stuff and wait it out to learn more. Yes. It's very much the for your eyes only formula where it's Cold War, who's the real enemy? But I feel like that film was a little bit better with it because they kept it to two real entities, right? The Dove and Chrissy. Like, that's... That's you guys. And you kind of jump between them a little bit and then it all kind of gets figured out. Where this one is kind of jumping between a, a, like one more than that. Like Kuskov and then also the woman related and also this Brad guy is now being introduced and also Pushkin. And like it's it adds in one extra element and that's enough to make it kind of confusing. Again, I like Pushkin a lot. And I think the idea of this, like who's the real enemy, that's cool. Um, but maybe they just made it a step too far in terms of actually explaining stuff and and being smart with the pacing of the story. Did you also spot that all those statues of like Hitler and Napoleon and Genghis Khan and stuff were meant to look like Whitaker? Oh no! I yeah, they that. they were meant to be in his image, like him as those people, but it really looked really bad. <laughs> If you actually pause and look at one of them in the background, they've clearly tried to make it look like the act two plays General Whitaker, but it's just not really very well. Um, because I like the idea of that, because, yeah, you, you do really quickly realise that this guy is a complete war nut, like fanatic. So if he's making statues of himself as Hitler, he's got to be pretty weird, right? <laughs> pretty crazy. But they just don't look like him. It's just It's just bad. Oh, yeah, I missed that. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. I think the height is what changed it, right? Because, like, Napoleon, I want to say, is short, his model. Yeah. And also Hitler, well, I don't know. (laughs) Listen, even if I was a crazy arms dealer, don't know if I'd want to model myself like Hitler. That might be a step too far. No. But also it's, like, so blatant in terms of, like, this is a bad guy. I have not, like, seen any more attempt, like, so directly 
if you had just like any like Blofeld's first scene is like look there's me as Hitler I'd be like okay we get it <laughs> we get it he's the bad guy that's fine <laughs> we don't need to give a him dressed up as Hitler like you could be more subtle guys how do we make this yeah who's the most evil person we know and then how can we make the you know connect the two on screen oh I know I've got it yeah. <laughs> John Glenn John Glenn's like aha get me a, get me some Nazi uniforms now yeah, with Chrissy when he first shows up, you just see in the background in his car, like him dressed as Hitler as a model. Bond's like, "What's that?" It's like nothing. That's nothing, mate. Don't worry about it. Because that fine. looks like Hitler. It's like, no, nah, it's it's not. It's not Hitler. No, no, no. I would tell you if it was Hitler. <laughs> uh, so then we go back to Bond and and Kara um, after that quite quick scene, and they're getting out of a vegetable truck because you now they're trying to get to Vienna, and they've now arrived. And we straight away go into like a almost like romantic scene. They don't play for your eye, uh, the living daylight. Sorry, um, that the main theme. Um, but yeah, like they get in a carriage and just kind of ride around Vienna, and it's all very fancy. There's this outside ball playing or happening where people in very fancy suits are kind of dancing and classical music, and they all kind of go past and. There's lots of rich people and things like that. And there's a little bit of conversation between the two where Kara is saying how Yorgi, as in the uh, Kuskov, uh, she owes everything to him. Like everything. Like he owes, like she gives him everything. And I think it's here where they might talk about the cello as well. How the cello that she has was a one of a kind bought in New York. And yeah, it, it has a name. I can't quite remember the name, but this is a very expensive, very unique cello, um, which ties into the joke of it being shot uh, earlier. Yeah, I think it was called, because he says about, oh, it's a Stradivarius. Um, is it Lady Rose? Something Rose. Yeah, Rose. It's some, yeah, something Rose. So they then arrive at the building and go inside. And this is another case of the man just knows Bond. <laughs> Because they walk yeah. in and he's like, ah, your usual sweet, sir. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's a, this scene was a bit on the nose, I think, with that. Yeah. Yeah. So the guy straight away knows, because Bond just has a usual hotel, apparently, because uh, this is a, a hotel, I believe. And the guy asks, like, do you want your a drink as well? And your your Falco Martini? And Bond's like, yes, shaken, but and not stirred, which is... Like, it's nice that they have Bond say it, but as you say, it's a little bit forced. Because there's another this, yeah. one later as well with this sort of scene, right? With the drink? It's just, they get it in here first. It just seemed so out of the blue. Just It, it felt like they just needed to get the line in, shaken, not stirred. And it just didn't really fit at all with like the flow of where the scene's going. Like, Bond's there checking into a hotel and like eventually gets on the phone but like in between that, oh, uh, your drink, sir. It's like, wait a minute, like, come on now. Yeah, who goes up to a <laughs> a hotel reception? It's like get the Carlsberg going, right? <laughs> That's in the room, right? That's sorted. <laughs> yes, of course, sir. Well, but I suppose Bond is an alcoholic, so yeah, maybe they just they really do know him. They know him best. Yeah, or maybe this is a throwback to the fact that. The very first time this was said was in a hotel and it was like the hotel guy inside Bond's room being like, here's your drink, shaken, not stirred. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so Bond says, uh, or he, he makes a phone call, I think, and orders two tickets for the opera. And at the same time, Carr is admiring these like very nice blue clothes. And Bond's like, ah, let's buy it. If you want them, you can buy it. And she's like, oh, how will you pay? And Bond's then like, Kuskov will pay. Well, he says, Yorgi will pay. Um, so she gets the clothes. This lovely, lovely blue dress. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Kara now, or should we save that for later? Uh, I feel like you want to talk about her by bringing that up. I don't like her. Oh. <laughs> and it, it ties to, basically, the, the essence of me not liking her, and it happens in this scene and most scenes of Jin. She just acts like a child, and it really does my head in. Like, she just acts so naively. Now, later in the film, she does have some moments of, like, you know, being competent, so she doesn't act stupid in that way. She just acts so annoyingly naive and childish where she just sees some clothes. Like, oh, I love these clothes. And then Bond has to like treat her like a teenager. Where she's like, well, if you've been very good, so let's buy you the lovely clothes. And it happens throughout. Like her dialogue and the way it's played, she just acts so childish. And I didn't like it. Like I just did not like this approach and I just didn't like her overall. Oh, I actually did quite like that aspect of her. I think it's because, as you say, she's not a dumb character. We have had some, like, dumb Bond girls. Name one. Name one. Mary Mary Goodnight. Wow, that's where you... (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. I was thinking (laughs) Tiffany was the first one that came to my head. Oh, yeah, she was pretty bad too. But, you know, they are... They they just make... They they purposely make those characters very stupid at times. Whereas I think they, they get away with it in this film because, as you say... It's not that she's stupid, it's just she's so incredibly naive and she's caught in this, you know, she has been um, courted, basically, by this Koskov before, like off screen, we we would assume, um, with all of the presents and Stradivarius and all this sort of stuff. She's just completely wrapped in this whole KGB thing, not having a clue really what's going on. And I think, although that does lend, that, that, that does lead to Bond, as you say, having this sort of more parental at times like kind of where she is acting a bit uh childish and and spur of the moment sort of thing i i think that kind of works um and i think the actress does a really good job of of yeah acting that way but not not to such an extent where it seems kind of i don't know too creepy because you know eventually bond does uh get with the bond girl but what right well not until at the very end actually um really so yeah i know i i I thought overall this character's handled pretty well although i think she is a bit of a divisive character actually so i'm not surprised by your opinion yeah she's not the worst like that's let's put that out there she's definitely not the worst i just think they went too far in the whole acting like a child aspect like she just needed a little bit less of that i get naive but i feel like they just didn't balance her well enough and she just kind of becomes a bit annoying like i didn't find sympathetic towards her because i think that's what you're meant to be right like she's just caught in the middle of this and you're meant to feel a little bit of sympathy and bond does also feel that as well but she's just being manipulated it's just too much like i just didn't like her by the end and yeah they do some things to kind of redeem her in terms of her being quite capable but it it wasn't enough i just whenever she opened her mouth she just sounded too much like a kid and that was enough to put me off listen at least she didn't end up pressing some button with her bottom 
oh. at the end of the film. So I'm just pleased for that. <laughs> what a bar. That didn't happen in the Bond franchise, did it? That sounds stupid. I know, right? It's Can you imagine? Ludicrous. Uh, yeah. I don't think we got any zoom-ins on the Derriers this film. <laughs> we did in the last one. We did in the last one, yeah. No, they definitely had some more restraint, I think, with this one. Well, yeah, apart from maybe one, one part, but yeah. We cut to a kind of villa-looking place with a big swimming pool. We see Necros, the, the milkman. <laughs> I don't know whether to call him Necros or Milkman now. I'll go with Necros in my notes. Uh, he's he's doing a bit of diving. Um, and we see uh, Koskov is uh, by the side, chilling, uh, enjoying, you know, being surrounded by all these beautiful women and relaxing and champagne and whatnot. Um, although he is eventually called by... Uh, uh, what's his name? Whitaker. Um, yeah, Whitaker wants to see him as well as Necros, so... They both go and um, go up to a different area and, and go see Whitaker, who is basically there to um, eat lobster. Yo, yeah, so crack crack some lobster, that's for sure. Uh, because Koskov is is very relaxed at this whole situation and the plan with what they are carrying out. Their um, their what did Pushkin say? They're, they're scheming, whatever their scheme is. Koskov. Is, is kind of thinking it's all going to plan. He thinks that the British uh, will kill Pushkin. His whole fake defection has has done the job. Um, but Whitaker is still a bit unsure, is a bit uneasy of the whole situation. Um, he would want another spy killed to really kind of like solidify uh, the British making a move on Pushkin. Uh, yeah, because clearly they need Pushkin dead for whatever their plan is. So... I think at one point like, they want Necros to do it. Uh, I, this bit, I kind of I kind of lost this bit, but Necros does say something about how he can't blow his cover or something like that. Yeah, so they're trying to kill Pushkin, and the whole point in the death to spy scheme is that it's fake in order to trick MI6, and more specifically Bond, um, to kill him. But this is like Koskov's plan, not really Whitaker's plan, Whitaker's like, I just want to kill Pushkin. And then Kuskov is like, well, we'll wait till Bond does it. And then they also say Necros can't do it because he's a known KGB person. So if he does it, then they're like, oh, he's the KGB. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a little complicated, but this scene itself does kind of help clear some things up because they are just openly talking about their evil scheme at this point. Yeah, if you didn't know who the bad bad guys were in this film... <laughs> up until this point now you do it's the hitler guy okay. it's that one it's the guy who had a hitler model yeah yeah um okay yeah i missed that bit about that cross but that does make total sense so yeah the idea is that they're gonna they're gonna need to get rid of one more british agent to to really seal the deal um and i think that's pretty much how that scene ends yep very brief yeah very very brief scene uh because we're back with bond and cara they are at the opera uh, i keep saying opera i don't no, wait, this one actually might be This opera. is the opera, yeah. This one is the opera bit, yeah. Uh, they're watching they're watching the opera. Um, and she's loving it. She's very happy. She's got the dress on that she pointed out in the scene before. And uh, I don't know how... I'm, I'm assuming Bond sees Saunders in the opera house as well. I'm assuming Bond summoned him there. 
It must be. I don't think they say. It's not explained, but basically, yeah, Saunders is there basically to to reconnect with Bond and ask what's going on with the situation and the mission, I guess. Because uh, once the opera's finished, Kara, can't remember if Kara leaves somewhere or Bond tells her to go off somewhere, so he can talk to Saunders on his own. But between the two of them, Bond basically confirms that, yeah, he is... He is uh, posing as friends of Koskov in order to gain Kara's trust and try and get some more leads on the situation. Um, but also asks Koskov, uh, sorry, asks Saunders to investigate Koskov's finances, uh, specifically relating back to the cello that um, that he bought Kara in New York, the, the Lady Rose, um, to find out kind of like the chain of where that, that transaction led to. Uh, and also to get some papers for um, Kara to get across the borders. I honestly have no idea if people listening to this is following this story. Like, I don't think you did a bad job. Like, what you explained is 100% correct. But all these names, it's just... (laughs) Maybe it's just me, because I'm terrible with names, as you know. But it just comes across as such nonsense sometimes. (laughs) That is the thing with these films, isn't it? So when you do get it down into these bite-sized chunks, you do realise just how much you you just you just ignore well, not ignore but you kind of subconsciously take on board when you're watching yeah you get faces right like and you can just put those together yeah but here it's like bond is explaining to saunders that kuskov's defection is fake but kuskov gave kara a cello so saunders needs to investigate kuskov's finances to see where the cello came from <laughs> that's exactly it yeah that's it and I hope people understand. And if they don't, I apologise. But we're not going to make this a six-hour podcast. <laughs> I don't think we need to do that. I don't that. think we need to. But yeah, I'm just curious because I feel like this, more than any of the films, it wasn't the most confusing, looking at you, Octopussy, but the names really messed me up. I've already said it, to be honest. But yeah, the names really messed me up. I don't ever want to go back to o- Octopussy levels. Just that whole bloody egg and whether it was real or not, that was enough to <laughs> to, to make me never want to watch that film again for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh after that scene at the opera house, we are at uh where are we at? Oh, this oh, is right, they, yes. they agree to meet at midnight at the Ferris yes. Wheel. Yeah, Saunders says that we'll meet at a cafe next to uh the Ferris Wheel where where you can give Bond the papers and hopefully some information about Koskov. So yeah, we cut to Bond and Kara at the fun fair at night, um, in Vienna. And for a large part of this, you just get to see them have a nice time. <laughs> they're going on the bumper cars. They're uh, they're playing like the shooting game, and Bond's doing really well, and like gets her a big teddy and stuff like that. All whilst in like dressed up in like a tux and everything. It's quite a strange sight, but I really like this. I don't I don't know if it's just because it's like it's something quite different. Not really seen this before, but it is different. Bond. Yeah, Bond goes yeah. to the fair. He's Bond different. goes to the fun fair. I like it. Uh, I didn't mind it. Well, I didn't like it, actually. But, like, I noticed in this where, like, they're always smiling and laughing, Bond and Kara, whenever they cut to them. Like, they're di- they do have some dialogue together, but there's so many scenes where they just cut to them just sitting down, just laughing at each other and stuff. And it's like, I guess they're trying to sell Timothy Dalton's Bond as more just someone who actually genuinely gets on with the woman um, or the Bond girl. But it was a bit weird to me. And this is also another scene where Kara gets scared by a spooky ghost as they go by a spooky ride. Mm. And she's like, ah, 
like screams and Bond has to comfort her. I'm just like, oh, what a child. Like, <laughs> I think this is the scene that really hammers home. She's just like an eight year old because they are just going to the fair and she gets scared by a spooky ghost and Bond wins her a stuffed elephant. It's like, come on. Like, come on, guys. I do wonder how old she's meant to be in this film. I don't That's think we ever point, say actually. her age, but I, I mean, she must be like very, very early 20s. Yeah. Well, the actress died this year, I'm reading. Did she? Yeah. Oh, no. I thought she was still alive. Oh, that's sad. Oh, I think she did. Or maybe she didn't. Actually, no, it says died 2023. It just doesn't say in this Wikipedia article. Oh, no, there we go. She died on the 10th of February. Well, that's sad. Way to, you know, have a downer here. I just want to look up her age. So she was born in 1960. So she would have been 27 when this, or 26 when this film came out. Tom, what are you talking about? She's still alive. It it says she's dead. (laughs) Who are you looking at? Her name's Mariam Debo. Yeah. Where are you seeing she's dead? (laughs) They were, it says they, it says 2023 and then in her personal life they remained married in t- oh his death oh no fake news on this oh, podcast oh sorry <laughs> she's still alive her husband's dead though it's the oh, husband okay. that died oh I see right my bad sorry sorry Mariam cancel the cards cancel the flowers <laughs> cancel the flowers um, anyway back to the film so yeah they're having a great time at the fair um, I'm just waiting until midnight. <laughs> all right, but... back to Timothy Dalton, grounded Bond. So they're having a great time at the fair. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like it is. Yeah, on the face of it, it is kind of silly to look at, but he's doing this for a, a legitimate reason. You know, he is still trying to to get get in on whatever she knows, even though it, you know she probably doesn't know that much, um, and get get her on his side. But they head up onto the Ferris wheel. Um. And whilst they're going on, I think previously we might have seen Saunders sort of like waiting around because he's there ready to go and he's like looking at his watch maybe. Um, and as they're going up on the wheel and the wheel starts moving, Bond does see Saunders out like looking down onto the ground and there is Saunders. He also sees, is this where there's Necros as well? He's there yeah. with, the, with the balloons. He's in disguise as a balloon salesman um, in the fairground. And... You might hear, because I don't know if we mentioned this so far, but Necros has like a theme. He has like his own theme in this film where whenever he's on screen doing his deeds, like killing someone usually, he has, it's usually kind of done as the sound coming from his stereo. Although you do hear it as well in like the actual soundtrack at times. But um, yeah, I don't know if you hear that here quite yet, but you do at some point. Mm. I, it's a real song that's the thing so it's not like part it's not like a score where they write a theme it's just like a pop song or something right yeah yeah exactly yeah it's meant to be like what he's actually listening to i suppose on on his garotte stereo walkman thing um so yeah they go up onto the ferris wheel and it stops at the top and she thinks that there's something wrong but apparently bond just like or like, I guess it's more people he knows, or he paid them off and got them to stop at the top uh, to have a kind of little romantic moment. Um, which this is where it doesn't really work for me, Dalton being a like you know the ladies' man, because 
you have a little scene between the two and and Kara's there kind of saying it's crazy I've I've only known you for two days and yet I can't help but picture my life with you and and stuff like that very kind of wide-eyed and fluffy-tailed like staring into his into his eyes and then he he goes to kiss her and I, I think she's a bit unsure of it and he says this is the line I really just didn't think worked at all but he says don't think just let it happen and I'm not against the idea of them two eventually getting together, even though she's very childlike. But I just think that's such a poor choice of words. Don't think, just let it happen. Like, that's not a very good message to send out, is it? No. I think it's meant to be romantic, but it really does not work like that in in the context of this scene. Yeah, I think, like, you know, it does tie into the line she said before, where it's like, oh, she could only think about being together or saying it's impossible. Yeah. like she says the word think, which is why he's then like, don't think, just let it happen. But it, I just, to me, Timothy Dalton just isn't that guy. He just isn't that guy. And I think their chemistry is all built on them just smiling and laughing with no dialogue. And I already think she's a bit childlike, so I just don't like this at all. Like it didn't creep me out all that much. You knew this was going to happen, but it's just, just weak. It's just not where Timothy Dalton shines. So it's like, it didn't annoy me, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's just not great. Not a great part. Mm, yeah. Uh, after that, we do eventually get Bond and Saunders meeting up. He he tells Kara to I don't know, go look at some postcards or something whilst he goes inside the cafe where Saunders is, um, who's at the at the counter in this cafe, having a nice little cup of coffee. And yeah, they're basically there just to exchange information. Saunders explains how he followed the trail of the cello purchase uh, in New York and how it eventually led back to Whitaker. Um, so that lets Bond know that General Whitaker is now involved in this scheme, um, as a, as a avenue to explore. And is there, I don't think, apart from giving him the, the passport and stuff, Kara, I don't think he actually says anything else. Yeah. I think that's about it. Just it's Brad Whitaker and Brad Whitaker's in, uh, Tangier. Yeah. Yeah, for that conference that was mentioned about, or, you know, supposed conference. Um, I do like how, you know, early on in the film, the the sequence in Bratislava, you had sort of, they were butting heads a bit where Saunders is very much, you know, the the, the by-the-books man, as I've said, and, and Bond is Bond and just does what he wants. Whereas now you do get a little bit of Bond actually appreciating Saunders, uh, particularly for just, a, you know, what's about to happen next. But you actually get a very... Uh, real moment from Bond thanking Saunders for what he's done and and actually maybe quite impressed by what he's managed to work out and, and add to the mission, which was nice. Yeah, I actually ended up quite liking Saunders. Maybe they're a little bit too cartoonish with him to begin with, where he's like, oh, I follow the rules and, and like maybe a little bit too much. But yeah, it comes together for this quite nice scene at the end here for Saunders. So yeah. Little, it's nice to see the the straight lace guy and Bond, and then they come to a mutual understanding and respect. That's nice, nice little exactly. Moment. Yeah, nice to actually have Bond respect someone, a fellow agent, not quite the same sort of agent, but yeah. And Saunders went off and had a very happy life and enjoyed his pension. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. No, oh. as Saunders, we've 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 kind of you know we've seen that the, the neck crosses around as the balloon man. Um, so as Saunders is about to leave, uh, Necros has booby-trapped the sliding doors, like the mechanical sliding doors of this cafe, 
and it's kind of a strange way to kill off someone. But as Saunders is going through the doors, he like um, Necros activates some sort of booby trap electronic thing and slams the door shut on Saunders, presumably killing him. You don't actually see it, obviously. You see a little bit of crushing action, but not too much. I just didn't quite buy that, to be honest. I'm not saying you couldn't do that because they try and set it where, you know, these are just automatic doors that usually just open and he's just rigged it so they go super quick. Um, And they go so quick that when they hit each other, they smash or at least crack. So that sells it. And I'm not saying that couldn't happen, but I didn't quite buy it. I still like the idea of it, but I didn't quite buy that that would just like instantly kill a man like that. Yeah. As I say, kind of a strange way to get rid of someone, but um, it does work because you know, Bond obviously sees that and runs out. And uh, there is a balloon. There's a balloon near his body, um, which has that same message that we saw on the pre sequence, the agent there, Schmert, something. Death of Spies. Um, and you know, Bond, very angry, just like uh, pops the balloon in his hands. And you do get some actual anger here from Bond, like real anger on screen. You can you can see it. You can see it in his eyes. Dalton, I think, you know, he might not be very good with the whole ladies' man stuff, but I think he does sell being very angry. <laughs> like, in the same way that Roger Moore definitely couldn't sell this sort of scene, I think. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, Roger. <laughs> Listen, you're very good at some things, but I don't think you could have popped a balloon and looked angry. Yeah, like, I think there's... So Bond does get angry in the past with, like, Roger and stuff, where it's, like, quite quiet... But this one is also somewhat quiet, but also just like he is just so visibly angry with it. Mm. But yeah, again, I quite like it. Uh, it's it's nice to see a little bit of an emotion. And, you know, they tied it in quite well with what Saunders and Bond were like before when they were chatting. So it's done very well. I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I, I like how so Bond spots this balloon and, and uh, sees a bunch of balloons over a hedge. And so puts the two and two together and, and starts to like run over and jump over the hedge to hopefully find out who did this and he's even got like his gun out as well as as he's doing this and it turns out it's it's just a kid with some balloons um <laughs> you know just putting out a gun right in front of a, a child and like mother and child and i like how yeah like clearly the emotions got to him to such an extent that he's you know making mistakes like that and like kind of uh letting his cover go a little bit um kind of adds into what that's kind of you know the effect that that's had on him um but yeah he eventually gets back to kara uh, who d- does he ask Kara about Whitaker? No. Oh no, actually, yeah. Well, I think he just says the name, and, and the she woman's like, "I know it. who that is." Right. Yeah. And he says that they like she. She's obviously doesn't know what's happened, and she's still like, "Oh, you know, let's go and you know, blah blah blah." And he's very like his mood is completely changed now to what you've just seen with him and and Kara before where they're having a great time on the dodgems. Now he's like very, very stern and very, very blunt. And he's just saying, right, we're leaving in the morning sort of thing. And, uh, uh, I think she does it. She asks about Koskov and, uh, oh yeah. Cause that's how Bond kind of got away from her is cause he said that he needed to get in touch with Koskov and when he was going to see Saunders. So she asks about the message. Did you get Koskov's message? And you just get like him turning to the, the camera and going, yes, I got the message. <laughs> it's very, mm-hmm. very, very gritty. I do like this whole scene though. I like the whole scene. I like what I've realized that I like about this film is I like the nighttime scenes. I just think nighttime just adds a whole, just a nice element to the, the whole Dalton bond. 
I think he really fits well. It's like Batman. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just all these scenes at nighttime. I really, really enjoy. Yeah, I can totally see that. I don't quite see the Batman stuff, I suppose. But yeah, it, it's just well kind of done. I didn't like the fair stuff, but there is something kind of about someone being killed at the fair that's pretty, pretty hardcore. And I like, yeah, Bond just showing a bit of emotion, kind of getting mad. And yeah, it's it's all just pretty solid stuff. He's the Dark Knight. He's <laughs> not a Dark Knight. <laughs> no, Batman's a Dark Knight. Oh, I see. And that was my link to the two. The living Never mind. Day. No. Um, <laughs> oh, no, don't try that. No, I won't try. Don't try it. Um, so, yes. So Bond says we need to go and see Brad, who she's like, ah, oh, Brad, I know Brad. And Bond's like, we're going to leave immediately, first thing in the morning. So they are going back to Tangier to meet up with Brad, I, I believe. So we see them there and Bond is in a car and it's in a very busy street. There's a lot of performers there's like these men dancing as street performers that bond has to pay off to get them to leave Uh, but we see bond is looking out pushkin so pushkin is getting into a car nearby he drives off bond follows and we then finally get the living daylights theme at this point i don't know if we've heard it before but if we did i didn't pick up on it me neither yeah this is like the latest that they play it but i do really like that we are now just hearing the theme just in kind of like Bond tailing someone as a spy. I think that works quite well. This isn't just a romantic one. Because even in A Few to a Kill, even though that wasn't a romantic song, they made a romantic version of it and then associated that to the Bond girl. But this one, they have finally changed the approach of, let's just make a cool version of the theme that fits with the score and play it during some spy sections. Like The Living Daylights is not the theme of the Bond girl, which I really appreciate. <laughs> yeah, Kara's theme would probably be like Teletubbies or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, yeah, no, I meant, I meant to like that character. I take that back. Sorry. Redacted. Yeah, redacted. So that's just... Bond likes the... Uh, Joe likes the character and she's not dead. Okay? All right. <laughs> yeah. Tom and Joe would like to make the following statement. <laughs> So, yeah, so he sees Pushing going to this fancy hotel. It's like Hotel of France or something like that. And Bond waits outside and puts on some goggles. So that's something that happens a lot in this film where everyone's like wearing goggles that can zoom in. I guess they had that as new technology, but we haven't talked about it a lot, but it happens quite a bit. Does it? Yeah, think. it's oh, like I never guess, an official I mean, game, but Saunders had them, Bond has yeah. them, they have them later. It's like not an official gadget, but everyone just now has these zooming goggles. So, all right, cool. I'm glad they have those as glasses rather than the uh, the ones we saw previously. Oh, what? The big sunglasses. <laughs> the, the big sunglasses. Um, yeah. Time to oh, move on from that. That would have been that. good. <laughs> would it? <laughs> well, for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons, yeah. So, yeah. So, Bond sees Pukin enter the hotel with a, his wife, presumably, and they kiss and enter the hotel. And we then cut to night. And at the exact same hotel. So Pushkin is walking down the hall of the hotel and he goes up to the a room and he has flowers and some chocolates and he knocks on the room and it enters and he finds a woman in there all scared. And Bond then appears behind the door with a gun and points at him. And he pushes Pushkin onto the bed. He makes a comment about his flowers saying, you should have bought lilies. And Bond 
then asks him about the death of spies or the death of, to spies thing and about it. Like, what does he know about it? Or this was you that did this. And he says, that was deactiv- deactivated 20 years ago. I don't know anything about that. And Bond's like, two agents are dead. And he's like, I don't know. Uh, then he asks, there's a lot of info in this as well. Um, yeah. So Bond asks Pushkin, I think, about General Kuskov. And Pushkin's just like, well, I was going to have him arrested for misusing state funds. I don't really know anything about his defection or anything. I just, but or before he defected, I was going to have him arrested. Um, and at this point, Pushkin activates a little alarm on his watch, which sends in the guard. And Bond's like, that was bloody stupid, because Bond is very emotional at this point, very angry, very emotional. And the woman that was there, Bond goes up to her and just rips her top off and has her stand there. And then the guard comes in and the guard's all distracted and the Bond kind of, and Bond just knocks him out. And you actually just like kind of see her topless as well. Yeah. It's like another one of them where they just don't really hide it. It's like, all right. Yeah. Because, you know, she's facing away from the camera, but like not completely. So. Yeah. Yeah, It's a bit weird uh, and i don't really know how to feel about it because this scene i find is a it's not bad but this is supposed to be bond very emotional and upset and i guess that's why he just kind of rips the clothes off and uses that and just kind of pushes pushkin down on the bed and is pointing the gun but we kind of find out later it's a bit of an act i think or it has to be an act so this is just all kind of for the audience's sake and isn't really real and it just kind of makes it feel a little bit odd because it's like, is Bond upset? Is he not upset? And if he isn't upset, then like, why? It's, I, I don't quite think this works, mostly just because of the logic of it that got us here. I've got a question that's not to do with logic, but I just, since you said it, I'm now wondering, what? why does he say you should have brought lilies? Is that something to do with it's a funeral funerals? Thing, yeah. Right. Because okay. you bring lilies to a funeral or someone's grave. I see. So he's basically okay. threatening with him. Like, I'm going to shoot you, haha. But he right. says you should have brought Lilies instead. That makes sense. I just wondered that. Okay. Uh, yeah, so then this leads to more conversations, I think. And Bond gets Pushkin to go onto his knees and he's pointing the gun at his head. And then Pushkin's like, who do you believe? Do you believe what I'm telling you, that I had nothing to do with this? Or do you believe Kuskov, of which we know who it is and... Pushkin then says, so I must die. Um, Because Bond, I think, is saying, like, to find out the answer to what's really going on, you need to die. So Pushkin's like, well, I guess I need to die then. Um, Before I go, anything to add to this scene before I move on to the next bit? You remembered far more than, I'm glad you recapped that, because I I wrote down so little in that, so I have nothing more to add, (laughs) basically. I do think it was strange. One thing is, I do think it's strange that they had the whole Bond ripping off the lady's top as a distraction when, if you actually think about what happens in that scene, he doesn't really need the woman there as a distraction. He's just, you know, he's behind the door anyway. Yeah, he just hides. <laughs> he just hides. So he could have just smashed the door into the KGB agent anyway. But there we are. We need the woman from before, like Rose Carl, or whatever her name was. To... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the I gas hope she comes back. Pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so we see, we don't see what happens. So Bond is aiming at them and Pushkin says that I must die. And then we cut to Pushkin in this hall in the hotel because this is the conference that everyone's been hyped for and very excited about. 
and Pushkin is introduced to the stage. He gets on front of the stage and we see, it just says Milkman in my notes. I don't know his name. Necros. So we see Necros there watching this because Necros has been sent there, um, I believe, to kill Pushkin. So he's there. And as as Pushkin is on the stage talking, the Milkman goes to shoot him and Pushkin is suddenly shot. Lots of bullet holes appear on him. You see the blood and the um, Necros is a bit confused. So he looks to the right where the shots have come from and he sees James Bond with a gun and Bond shoots at him and, and misses and then runs away. And the woman, Pushkin's wife, is crying all over him and Bond is running off and he's being chased by the guards. They're like, seal the building, we got to stop him. Um, so Bond heads up and goes to the rooftops and jumps across to the rooftops while being somewhat chased and just like of all the things to come back so he gets an antenna bends it all the way back and then flips it into the guards <laughs> it's like yeah is this another one of your things john do we have to add antenna flips to the list i think it is like that that can't be a coincidence back to back well it's not back to back is it really but it's still well two. we had it in a view to a kill did he well, not not quite the same, but we had in like an aerial twang as he's getting like over San Francisco on the blimp. Oh, I think John. Yeah, I think I John so. Glenn just likes aerials. Yeah, I was just thinking octopusy. That's where I was going. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, because the henchman yeah. gets knocked off by an antenna flick. Yeah. So three films in a row then. Wow. <laughs> okay, add it to the list. Another one for the list. Yeah. Oh god. So, so yeah. So Bond is walking, uh, is running away. So all these guards are kind of just naff. Like, and I think the film is kind of not pretending these are the top guys. These are just the guards that were there. So they shoot at Bond on the roof. He's running away. And we actually get quite a cool version of the Living Daylights playing here as well, which is nice. So we get two versions of it quite quickly after each other. Um, and we see Pushkin's body being wheeled out, being taken away to the back. And we see Necros is seeing the body, seeing this dead corpse being uh, wheeled away. And it gets pushed to the back room and everybody leaves. And then Pushkin wakes up. Turns out that it was all a, all a fake, all a hoax. That him and Bond had kind of planned this. And Pushkin wasn't killed by Bond. Uh, he just faked it. So Pushkin is actually completely okay. Oh, clever stuff. But you didn't see that coming. No. Well, I, I do have to say I really like Pushkin. I'm sorry, Gogol fans. I think I like Pushkin a little bit more. I think there's just like a there's so much more respect that this guy carries. I really buy him as the head of KGB, but I also really buy the like respect between him and Bond as well. I think this is like a really great character. He's not in it as much as I would have liked, but in terms of like a companion character, I actually thought he was really good. Yeah. I I liked I liked Pushkin too. I think Gogol was good for a while. I think he maybe outstayed his welcome a little bit. Uh, as that as that head of the KGB character, but yeah, getting a slightly younger actor I think works quite well, as you say, alongside Bond as a bit of an ally now. So yeah, and I just like the plotline of them scheming this. Maybe it's not done super well with Bond being all mad and then kind of basically having to trick the audience or try try to very fakely trick the audience. But I like the plot point. I think that's quite cool of having them work together, Bond and the head of the KGB work together to trick these other people to try and expose this plot. 
It's like there are some things about the Cold War elements of these stories that are not great, but I think this one's cool. I like it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I His poor wife, though. <laughs> she didn't know. <laughs> He's like, oh, sorry. Sorry, darling. <laughs> Actually, he probably doesn't say darling. That's, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's sound very Russian. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after we see that Pushkin is still alive, Bond has sort of escaped for the most part, all the people chasing him. And he's sort of in the middle of this giant, very busy market looking place in Tangier. Um, I think he does spot some people around him. So he is kind of maybe a bit trapped to an extent. Uh, and as he goes past some women um, in a car kind of spot him as well. And so as he's um, trying to work a way out of a situation later on, they drive up to him and ask, uh, oh, what did they say to him? So like if you he's wanna... looking for a party, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you want to looking for a party. So um, Bond just jumps in like, why not? <laughs> he is but, uh, looking for a party that's great just yeah just you know uh looking for, yeah yeah just a, a car full of women why not that sounds like bond so um he gets in and eventually it, you know they they drive off and uh there's like one in the front and one in the back and bond is in the front with the driver and uh the lady behind him turns out she's armed and points it to bond and, and just makes sure that he's you know paying attention and not not doesn't get any ideas basically so it looks as if bond's been kidnapped by these mysterious women um but they eventually take him to the harbor uh where there is a boat and they board him on the boat and you very quickly realize it's all fine it's all good it's felix it's the cia they're here and i think you did see this boat earlier on in one of the shots in the background um as a very, very small setup to the idea that the CIA are also investigating something along this line. Um, it's not just like it's completely out of the blue, although it is still quite out of the blue. Uh, but yeah, Bond is there and talks to Felix, and they basically realise that they are on, they're working on the same mission, but just from different ends. Bond is obviously on more of the Koskov angle, whereas the CIA have been looking for Whitaker and um, what he's been up to. So I don't actually know if Felix does anything to help Bond. Yeah, just have a drink. <laughs> I, I think that's about it. I can't remember exactly where he goes, but yeah, he's just saying they're investigating Whitaker, so that's really about it. It's very brief. Yeah. yeah. Um we do cut back to uh Koskov and Whitaker and Necros back at their little villa place. Uh, I guess this is Whitaker's place. And um they're very happy, obviously, because they think that Pushkin is dead. They think that their plan, that Koskov's plan has worked in tricking the British intelligence um, to kill Pushkin. So Whitaker is now happy to carry on with the plan. He says something about shipping the diamonds from Amsterdam. Uh, we don't really know much else. That's all we really hear in terms That's of the cool plan. That's a cool throwback, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even put that together, but you're right. Um, and there's a phone call. Uh, and it's for Koskov, and he answers it, and you you don't really hear any of the phone call, but you, he just looks very worried. You know, once he realizes who's talking to him, doesn't look too happy, and the scene cuts. Yeah, so Felix is back, and it was a very good time to have Felix back because you know it's a new Bond, and it, it's been ages 
I can't even remember the last one. Was he ever in the Roger Moore films? Um, he was definitely in Live and Let Die. Okay, Live and Let Die, I want to say, is the last one, then. I think so. I don't think he was in The Man with the... No, I think that might have been it. Yeah, I think so, too. So it's nice to have him back, but he's just a nothing character in this one. Like, it's a cameo appearance. Uh, hey, look, Felix is back. But... You know, I think this is the same guy who plays Felix in the next film. I really hope it is. Otherwise, I'm going to be mad. No, it's not. Oh, for it's not. So in the next film, it's oh, the guy from Live and Let Die. They get him back. That's for so some... stupid. I don't... They, As we've said before, they really messed up the Felix character in these films. They really messed him up. I was really... I was just about to compliment it, saying it's great that they... Even though it's a cameo, they're setting up the next film somewhat. So it's cool to have him back. But now that you say that, it's like, what are they doing? What are you know. doing, guys? Because he's yeah. just such a small part of this film where you're just like, well, then what's the point if they're going to recast in the next one? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, but anyway. so Anyway. Yeah. So we we cut to... That's not a word. Why did I write that down? We cut to like <laughs> a beach at night. Uh, I don't think we've seen this house before, right? No. I don't, no, I don't know where have. this is. I'm assuming Tangier somewhere. But this is where Kara has ended up. And somehow. Like, somehow. Like, I don't think they ever... It doesn't matter. So Kara has, is in there playing her cello and Bond enters. Uh, she pours him a Fokka Martini and is like, oh, just how you like it. Because he, she shakes it um, and they have a little toast to us. And at this point, Bond just confesses everything. He's like, I'm a British agent. Um, Yorgi or Kuskov is a traitor and that he wants her dead. And she just doesn't really believe it. And she's like, no, you're lying. You're actually a KGB agent. And Bond's saying, well, that's not true. That's rude. Uh, I'm not a KGB agent. Um, and she's saying that, uh, what is it? I think at this point she says, Kuskov told me that you're a KGB agent. Yeah, so that's who the phone call was. Yes, so like Kuskov has told her that Bond's a KGB agent. She's like, I don't believe you, Bond. But Bond then realises that the drink has been spiked. So he is enjoying his lovely Fokker Martini, but he's feeling a bit woozy and is about to pass out. So he goes up to her and he was like, hey, that night you were shot. That night when you were supposed to assassinate someone and someone shot you. Like he exposes the wound on her arm and then he's like, I fired the gun. That was me. And I think that's about it. He was just like, I'm the one that fired the gun and didn't kill you. I, I shot I shot the gun instead. And yeah. at this point, Necros enters. Bond gets out his gun and tries to shoot, but passes out. Um, and we see Kuskov then enter shortly afterwards. Uh, yeah, very brief scene. I guess it's <laughs> nice to finally see Bond get like caught out by his fucking martinis. Like, that's kind yeah, of I like that. Nice little touch. Yeah. Uh, so then this goes to an ambulance driving to an airport and we see uh, Kuskov, Necro... I have to get all these names right. It's ridiculous. Uh, Kuskov, Necro, um, Necros, Kara and Bond. So Bond is strapped... Like they're pretending that he's a, like, a patient. 
so he's in this ambulance and they they give like a fake id like you see a fake id of bond being like this russian person i believe did you see the name they put for that no what was it oh uh, i i had to write it down because it was just quite funny so they do like yeah like a close-up shot of this id and they <laughs> according to it his name is jersey bondov so <laughs> You know, they really Perfect. made an effort to make it sound Russian. Yeah. <laughs> James Bond, Jersey Bondoff. Yeah, that'll do. Perfect. Yeah, that's him. Uh, so, yeah, so they're pretending he's, he's passed out. They're pretending he's a patient using the fake ID. And there's a cold box nearby. And they're at Border Patrol trying to get onto this plane. And one of the one of the Border Patrol agents comes up and asks them to open up this cold box. And it opens up and we see a heart inside which is like pumping still and the guy's like oh gross get it out of here i don't want to see that so he's approved that so they now will get onto the plane and we see bond and Kara passed out onto the plane and bond has been handcuffed to the seat although necros gets up and we find that bond was actually pretending and wakes up and he tries to reach for the box nearby the one that has the heart in and Kara wakes up and then goes to help and yeah. says I've been a fool. I trust you now, James. <laughs> it's like, I know who's the real villain here. And like, I'm glad they didn't drag this out. I can appreciate that they just had her like stick with Bond, but it's a bit of a stretch. Like how quickly she jumps backwards and forwards here. Yeah. I, I, I the fact it is just from one scene to the next, you know, literally the scene before she's poisoned him. And now she's, you know, all all aboard it. But I don't know. I think you're right. I think they shouldn't have. This was better than the alternative of her still being against Bond and it just being frustrating, you know. So I guess uh, it was the lesser of two evils here. Yeah, pretty much. But Bond says that the heart is a f- not a human heart because they open up the box. Kara helps the box get opened. But it's like that's an animal's heart because Bond can just identify that right off the bat. He went to Cambridge, don't you know? Um, <laughs> that was a whole course there was a whole course hearts hearts yeah. and you <laughs> um, <laughs> so they then see that there's diamonds hidden in the ice so the diamonds that they were talking about before they actually have been smuggled and are hidden in this ice and i don't want to talk about these diamonds because it confused me a lot so we're going to move on and come yeah, back to do. it later yeah and she starts like is there anything i can do to help and bond says go and get my key ring which, as we know, is the gadget that Q gave him from earlier. So Bond goes back to kind of pretending to be out of it because Necross enters the area again and he's all moaning and gets some shots of the plane and uh, Kuskov then enters the room and tells Kara to go get them a coffee, which she does. And she's like, ah, she's very, very helpful, isn't she? And Bond asks, why didn't you kill me? Because they had Bond. He's like, why, why didn't you kill me? And he says that he's going to hand him in for killing Pushkin, because everyone believes that Pushkin was killed by Bond, so he's going to hand him in and and be a big hero. And the idea that Bond's like, well, no one's going to believe that because of your faked affection. And then he says, well, I'm going to say that this was all a secret mission that I was doing for Pushkin, and that's going to be my cover. And he says, like, we have an old saying, although I don't remember what that saying is. Oh duty i can't remember it duty yeah it's like he's he says we have an old saying says this saying and then bond responds with we also have an old saying and you're full of it 
Oh, which isn't a bad line. I, I like the implication there of Bond implying swearing, mm. um, but it's very, very on the nose. It's very, yeah. very set up <laughs> for him to say that. I didn't quite understand why. Uh, you do get a very brief reaction shot from Kara as well, and she she finds it funny. I find it hard to believe that she would know what Bond is even talking about there. Like, given what we know of the character and how naive she is, like, she doesn't know that saying. Yeah, full of turkey. <laughs> She's just thinking of turkeys and laughing now. She's like, ah, oh, turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Kara. So the plane does land, and Kara does get Bond's keychain just in time as they're about to leave. Uh, Kuskov is there and is talking to all the, the Russians outside. I don't know whether we know where they are yet, but there's it's basically like an air base where there's loads of Russians. Um, I don't know if they've said. I think they do. I think they do very quickly say it's Afghanistan. Oh, I can't say it. Afghan. <laughs> yeah. So they are in Afghanistan, and Pushkin is there talking to the Russians, like, "Hey, I've got I've got Bond and uh, to take him away," sort of thing. And as as Thomas said. It, Acting the hero, basically. He's got his whole like, general outfit on. Really loving it. He's loving it. And so he sends Bond off to go um, get imprisoned. But also Kara. Um, I think she might slap him. Maybe there's a little slap there. Can't remember. Yeah, there's a slap. There's a little slap there. I think she's... it's fake because he doesn't react to it in any way. Oh. But yeah, he betrays her for some reason. I guess she just knows too much now. So she needs to be included in this with Bond. Um, but they get taken to... Oh, I just remember what the scene goes into now. <laughs> mm. They get taken to this little um, jail room where uh, we are introduced to the, the happiest Russian I think I've ever seen on film. Like, it's it's like the superintendent. I don't know what you would describe. Like the head of this little jail cell. Yeah, um, not this, warden, is it? Because that's too much. But yeah, but the guy in charge of this small jail exactly and he's kind of like this shortish very stocky laughing man he just loves his job like he just doesn't stop laughing in these little scenes um and he's meant to be russian but the accent that he's got oh it's not very good he does he just sounds like he just sounds so english it's just really bad um but he he takes bond over to one of the cells and like gives him a few whacks of his baton and that is an opportunity um, for Bond to get on the floor, kind of like from being hit down, and Kara, I think at the same time drops the keychain. So Bond, I think Bond does pick it up, but he gets caught with it. So the the laughing man still looks at, like takes it off him and looks at it. I think. Yeah, the, that's that's pretty much it. Like that's Bond pretty goes much down it. to get it, he sees it, and then he's holding it because the man needs to be holding it for what happens next. Yeah, because then Bond goes into the, the cell a little bit to get away from it. Um, because the man is holding this keychain, which we know what it does, he does a little whistle of Rule Britannia, uh, which sets off the stun gas, um, which gives them a chance to kind of break free a little bit and start a little tussle with them. Um, so yeah, they have a little fight in this uh, jail cell. Bond is handcuffed, so he can't do that much, but he's like using a chair at some points and there's like this spiky thing on the table which he's nearly impaled on at one point um eventually he does uh get the the laughing man that's what i'm calling him now uh he's not laughing now but he gets him locked in the jail cell Kara knocks out the other one and puts them in the other jail cell and i should have mentioned that there is another person here or whilst this has been going on there's this other prisoner 
in one of the cells who's finding this all very funny and and cheering him on. Um, and as Bond and Kara are about to escape, because uh, they find the keys to their handcuffs, they do, just before they leave, throw the keys to this prison as well to give him a chance to escape. I'm just trying to think now. The last time there was like a one-on-one fight or the or any sort of like fist fight that I, I liked because, you know, this is a new Bond and we said, <clears throat> we said constantly throughout the Roger Moore era how like it, this just isn't his strength. Like Roger Moore, his strength is not these sort of fights and they, they are okay, but never that great. And I, I felt like throughout Timothy Dalton or this film about the same like they're not bad but none of these really kind of stood out for me and i don't know if it's just because of the setup of a lot of these are different where there's no like one-on-one fist fights it's more just like bond in these situations and he just kind of like fights people to get out of them you know it's less like you know in a sean connery film they would set up as like and in this corner we have james bond (laughs) and this corner we have generic henchmen and then they go and fight and it's all focused on that where i feel like these ones are more connected to everything else and these other elements are thrown in so there's like less focus on the individual fights but yeah it does kind of bum me out a bit because i just feel like there's been no fist fights that have been that good since the sean connery films and that's ages ago yeah yeah that is true. I mean, I I've, I've rushed past that fight scene because there really isn't much to it, to be honest. No. And I think part of that is because it is just such a... Maybe it's something to do with not just John Glenn, because we are talking about films that he didn't direct. But with the John Glenn stuff, I can't think of any good fight scenes either. They're very movie fight scenes, I suppose. And, yeah. and if I think back to some of the fight scenes that I do like, you know, the obvious one that I always bring up is the fight scene in From Russia of Love on the train. And that is filmed a bit more raw, and, and less choreographed. And I think that is just the trick to it. Um, or at least until like it, it, things improve to such an extent where we see the fight scenes in like the Craig films or whatever, but yeah, they all just seem very, there's no stakes. There's no, there's no, there's just no real kind of power to them, you know? Yeah. There's just nothing really interesting here. And it's like, I feel like in the 2000s, as you say, with the Craig era and films like John Wick and also like the all Raid as well, like that film, The Raid, uh, like fight scenes just became more kind of gritty and stuff. But yeah. at the moment, we're still in the 80s. So they're more just kind of like, yeah, it's an action film. So there's a little bit of action here and moving on, but it's not really what it's about. And I think the identity has been a little bit lost and it makes them all feel a little bit generic. So not really bad. I, I don't really dislike any of these scenes. It's just kind of like, yeah, they're just not that great. And I think the fact that the Bond films like this were not that great with the five scenes for so long is why we got this swing in the other directions with this more kind of bloody sort of fighting or more raw kind of fighting styles in films. Because I think people were just kind of so numb to it. And I'm feeling a little bit of that with this film just kind of numb to it at this point it's a shame because i think dalton could have done these really well as well yeah i think he really could have sold a good fight scene unlike roger moore yeah i agree but we never got it well at least not in this film anyway uh so they um they leave and as they're outside uh the as they're outside the um little jail cell they do spot Necros and Koskov, they're loading um, the organ box that we saw into a truck. 
uh, but they take this as an opportunity to escape. So they they steal one of those like portable staircases that you'd see for planes um, and use that to uh, climb over the fence, like get up over the fence. Although it doesn't really last very long as escape because they are kind of immediately ambushed by these uh, hidden people in the ground. They all like raise up out of sheets and everything and they've clearly been like waiting there. Um, so yeah, they get caught by all these mysterious people. We have no clue who they are, but uh, yeah, big group of them quickly surround them. As they're surrounded and they're about to be attacked by all these people, the prisoner from the jail cell also hops over using their escape method um, and very quickly tells them to tells all these mysterious people to stop and to to let them go. Um, they're fine. Uh, they're with us in a way. Um, and I can't remember what he says now, but eventually, like they all go off together on horseback. Yeah, that's a bit, yeah. They don't say much. They're just like you're with us. Yeah, they're just like you're not Russian. Let's hang out. I guess <laughs> that's enough for me. Yeah. Um, so we are cut. We cut to the daytime now, and they are all on horseback. I guess that was happening in the middle of the night. And it's kind of like yeah, sunrise or whatever. Um, and they're all riding on horseback through sort of a like the aftermath of a of a battle. There's like this, all these buildings that are charred and destroyed, and there's all these bodies on the floor, um, and like people trying to like attend to them and stuff. Um, and I think this is where Bond is giving a bit of an idea as to who this is because he's explaining to Kara, um, and they are the Afghan resistance against the KG, against the Russians. Um, he does. Oh, hang on! I wrote this down phonetically, oh, <laughs> so yeah. I could, Good so, luck I could try and, Good <laughs> so I could try and get it right. Mujahideen, there you go. Yeah, that sounds good. Well done, past me for writing that phonetically. Um, who are yeah the Afghan resistance, and they're taken to this big sort of stronghold-looking place, um, full of guards, full of those more people. Actually, looks quite nice actually, <laughs> considering what we've just seen. They go into this building, and it's like yeah, carpets and cloth and curtains and. All sorts of very nice things in there. Yeah, very nice. I'm going to stop there because I actually I feel like I know less about the scene oh, now. That's fine. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so when they enter this, well, the base, they then go to the back where there's lots of people in there, and the man who was in the cell formally introduces himself as uh, Cameron Shah, uh, the head of this resistance, and he offers them thank you, thank you for saving me, and explains how the Russians didn't really know who he was, so that's why he was kind of still, still alive, and offers Kara some clothes, so she goes off to change into those clothes, and Bond then starts saying, oh, we, I need to go back into the airbase, I have to stop Kuskov uh, from what he's doing, I have to go back, of which he's like, nope, and then he's like, I work for the British government, and there's weapons about to be bought here, and he's like, nope, <laughs> because <laughs> he's like i need guns and i need guys to go back there and he's just like that's not going to happen we'll leave in the morning so we then go bond is being escorted to the room they were in it's a little bit weird this scene because they're like escorted into a room and then they leave again to talk and then they go back into the same room it's a little clumsy um so Kara is in there and bond calls her beautiful in afghan and she's they then have this quite Oh, this is quite bad. Uh, so Bond explains to her, like, I need to go and stop Kuskov because he's a bad guy and he needs to be stopped. And she's all mad and, like, calls him the back end of a horse. 
Back end of horse. Yeah, back end of horse. And then Bond's like, did you just call me a horse's ass? And she like cries and they like laugh and hug. It's all a bit strange. And then Bond promises, yes, they will see each other again. And they start kissing. It's, I mean, I guess if you, how much you buy, this is how much you buy their romance. Because this is supposed to be man, go do dumb thing. Woman's like, don't do the dumb thing. Man's like, it'll be okay. I go do dumb thing. And then they just kiss. It's it's like that, but I just didn't buy this relationship, so just didn't uh, like I'm, it that much. As you know, I am pro Kara now. So Oh, you're all in. <laughs> I didn't I, I I quite like this too. I'm buying their chemistry. I'm 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 on this I'm kinda like I'm all in now, so I quite like this. Yeah, you know, I quite like them just being you know, hitting with a pillow and just having a little uh having a little moment. Yeah. Yeah, they are trying to approach the Bond girl differently here. That they do have a relationship. I just don't buy it. But they are clearly trying to take a different approach, which at least is something. I can appreciate that. Yeah. So we cut to the morning where everyone is now riding horses in the desert and Bond is uh, riding next to Camran. Um, and we see the general at the the Russian army base. So there's like an officer who runs the base. And I think that's who we get to see. He's not really a character, but he's the one that greeted everyone off the plane. There's like this official officer of this Russian army base here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of shots of horses riding and we see lots of camels and horses all with medical supplies, all kind of in a big circle. So everyone stops and Bond stops as well. And he goes to take a look around and he looks at all these medical supplies because they're all in these like big bags, which all have the red cross on. So he he puts a knife into one of them and see something brown and sticky come out of it so puts takes a little lick because of course he does why um, wouldn't you <laughs> yeah brown and sticky why not don't smell it no 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 straight onto the tongue yeah get that down yeah so he goes back to car and says that's raw opium so we find out that what the afghan resistance is holding is all these bags of raw opium just disguising them as medical supplies so as bond finds us out some trucks arrive and I think there's an extra character here who's like, oh, that's the biggest, biggest opium dealer in the world. This is when it gets really confusing again. Yep. And I like, I can't, I'm going to try and explain this, but I'm going to get it wrong because I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. That's totally fair because I didn't get this either. So it's like the Afghan resistance is doing a deal with Kuskov and Necros to sell this opium which is worth like what fifty million, something like that. Like it's somewhat the it's equivalent crazy of the weapons. I think it's even more than that. I think I think this is actually where the billion does come into play. I think he I think he does say half a billion. Oh, okay. So so yeah, so this is way more money than that then. Yeah, yeah. So they had they smuggled the diamonds here using the fake heart in order to use the diamonds to buy the opium. And then I can't remember if they explain it here, but I think they do. And then they're going to use the opium to sell it and then use that money to buy the weapons of Brad with all the profits. And still have loads left over. Yeah, so they're going to make a ton of money, get all these weapons, and all. It's it doesn't matter too much, but this diamonds thing, I think, is what really confused me. You could have yep. just had them buy the opium. <laughs> that would have been fine. Yeah. But now we got diamonds and the opium and then the weapons. It's... It's weird that it got this confusing this late. 
So yeah, I don't know. I got a bit annoyed at this scene, to be honest. It's just they they do tend to shoot themselves in the foot sometimes with overcomplicating things. Um, just didn't need to be like that. And and the sad thing is, at least for me, I, I feel like all this complication and confusion with the diamonds and the opium and the the weapon order and Whitaker and blah 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 blah. It's just it all leads to like what is actually quite a boring like villain plot for a Bond film. I'm not saying they all have to be spaceships, you know, uh, wiping out humanity or nuclear war to make an underwater society. They don't need to be that mad. Like, I quite like the ATAC one from Fioris Only because it was quite simple. Um, but this one is just boring. It's just like, oh, they're just making loads of money. Okay, great. Well, yeah, and, this and is you... another one where there's no, like, MacGuffin thing where, like, I think the ATAC and all that stuff works so well because you get given the reason why it's super important. It's like, it's a submarine. It's so quick as well, where they explain it. It's like one or two lines being like, well, you could just track all the submarines and tar- we could target themselves. And with the su- with the microchips as well, it's like, well, you could just, these are microchips that are really strong that you could just wipe out and stuff. It's like, you get it. But here it's just like, yeah, they just want to be rich, but they're doing it in the most confusing way possible that I can't get infested. At least Blofeld was trying to be rich, but he had like, I have this evil interesting disease or something. Yeah. <laughs> Which you understood. Yeah. So, yeah, and it was kind of at this point in the film, we haven't really talked about this yet. Or we talked about a little bit how like, this film is 130 minutes long. And at this point in the film, I was getting quite exhausted. And I think it started with this scene where they threw so much information about these diamonds and opium, and I got a little bit lost that this is when I actually kind of started to check out the film a little bit. Um, I'm only Same. saying this now because of, you know, later on, some of the stuff I might complain about probably makes more sense if I say that. But this is a long film, and at this point I'm just like, is this the end? Like, how far away are we? <laughs> I've really liked some of the stuff we've had so far, but... Considering it from this point forward, apart from right at the very end, really, this is now the rest of the film. We yes. are the, the rest of the film is now in Afghanistan, and I just don't really like it. Um, which, so I'm I'm kind of the same as you at this point, and I I, I guess I kind of remembered that most of the film is now at this point because I just kind of knew like oh this is it <laughs> this is this is really all we're going to get from this point on, which was enough to me for me to be a little bit checked out. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll carry on. So Bond suggests to Karen, like, what if the opium never arrives? That would completely destroy their schemes. And Karen kind of thinks about it and then agrees, saying, well, as long as I get paid. So he's going to take the diamonds and then Karen is going to help Bond sabotage the opium after the Afghan uh, resistance get those diamonds. So they're still going to get paid, um, but they're also going to blow that up. So yeah, Bond asks for an explosive and a timer. And then he goes and helps load the... Ex- the bags of opium into the truck because they're giving them over to to uh what's his name i keep forgetting kuskov um, but i should say bond is in like a turban at this point so he kind of goes undercover so he covers his face with the turban so they can't see who he is and kind of pretends that he's just some lackey who's helping there to to load up the truck so he loads up the truck he gets inside the truck hides at the back behind a load of the bags and we see necros and one of the soldiers get the truck as well so camera has the diamonds and bond is now in the truck and the truck drives away from the meeting point um, and as 
Cameron and oh my god, these names, man. Uh, the woman, Kara. Cameron is, and Kara. Kara is watching them go away. Kara's all like, we should help him. And he's like, eh. So she then <laughs> grabs his assault rifle and goes to ride to help because they're on horses. He's like, I'm going to go help James. Of which all the, we get a shot of all the men looking at him and it like pans around to all the men just staring at Cameron and he's like, women. And then they all <laughs> charge to go and help as well. Ugh, women, eh? Honestly. Cue applause, like? cue laughter. <laughs> women always charging t- trucks of opium. With gun in hand. British yeah. secret agents using an AK and a horse in Afghan. It's the we all know women, right? It's just what they do. If I had a dollar for every time that happened, <laughs> honestly. You really need to stop going to those Russian bases in Afghan, really. <laughs> Some of that's I, on you, I'm afraid. I could be rich by now. You could be. <laughs> For that opium you've been stealing. <laughs> oh, I'd be tasting all of that. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> just looking at... Yeah, you don't... How else are you meant to have it, right? No, you've got to make sure it's the real deal, right? Yeah, you put it on pancakes, I think. <laughs> I think we uh, also need a Bond uh, licking opium counter. Because that yeah, happens in some... For Your Eyes Only as well, at least. Yeah. Bond licking some sort of substance to to double check it, which that he really shouldn't. That's which he really part. doesn't need to. Yeah, yeah. Let's just see it and smell it. You get it. I guess it's perks of the job, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the rest of this <laughs> bond is just high in opium. <laughs> <laughs> so Bond is in the back of the truck, um, amongst all the bags of the supposed medical supplies, actually opium. Um, I think the idea was that he was going to go in there and. Because he asked Cameron for some plastic explosives and a timer. Um, so I, I guess the idea was he was going to go in there, plant the bomb and then leave. But Necros uh, comes on and, and like sits on the truck as it drives off. So he's pretty much trapped on board this truck now in the back of it. Um, though he still does plant the bomb. Uh, he puts it inside one of the uh, medical bags. That takes out the open and puts that in instead. as a So it's disguised within the rest of them. Um and it eventually gets taken to a big plane where all of this opium is then going to be loaded onto the plane. And there are more of like the Afghans there to load it on. So Bond, still in the turban, is still kind of in disguise and is able to pretend to be, you know, unpacking it and putting it on, on the plane and uh, starts doing that. Then this is where I, I this is where I'm I'm struggling a little bit because he he stays on the plane. Well, he gets onto the plane, right? Yeah, he gets on the plane, but I guess to put the the bomb in a particular location, or to to make sure that it's armed. Well, yeah, um, he turns on the timer once he puts the bag down on the plane. Yeah, and he sets the timer for like 10 minutes or something like that anyway. Um, But as he's on the plane, I think he's about to get off, and it just so happens that Metcross or Koskov sees him. So bad timing, basically. Yeah. well, it's also his like turban face comes down, so he doesn't think I'll keep that up. He steps out the plane, it falls off, and like a bloody sitcom, Kuskov is there. It's like it's Bond. It's like, oh, <laughs> come on, James, come on. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit clumsy there, James. But um, this is where, like, it all kind of goes crazy for a while. I feel like, um, yeah, Koskov. Necros, 
they they know Bond's here now, so um, people start to shoot, but but Koskov tells them to stop, like don't shoot the plane, basically, because uh, they need to protect it because it's got all the stuff and it needs to fly away. Um, and everyone, is this where the, the the resistance comes on board? Yeah, so there's a little bit of just like because they can't shoot a Bond, he then just starts like shooting. And they just wait, and then, yeah, the resistance then shows up. They just charge through on, like, I think one of them is in a bulldozer. I think it is Cameron, actually, is in a bulldozer. Yeah, like well, it's like a the digger, fence. right? It's a little digger. Yeah, and the rest of them are on horseback. I think they've they've told uh, Kara to, like, wait outside by this point, like, not to get involved. Um, although she does eventually. But, yeah, and this is where it's just, like, general chaos. Like, they're there, all the horses, all the people on the horseback are shooting. Um, Cameron in this little digger thing is... He pushes over a like a shower, uh, a shower room or something like that because you get these these men like caught short. <laughs> the, the whole building like topples over and they're just there naked, like in the middle of having a shower. It's not um, just topless uh, women. We also got some <laughs> what, Russian army butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some equality in this film, at least. You know. Uh, <laughs> so we do get some butt stuff. I was wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a zoom. <laughs> Imagine if there was just a Zoom. <laughs> John, no. <laughs> um, but uh, at this point, Bond, um, he gets into the cockpit of this giant plane. I don't know what that type of plane's called. It's huge. It's the one that has, like, you know, room for vehicles on the back. Yeah, it's not like a bomber, right? But it kind of looks like that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely some sort of huge military plane. Um, and he's trying to, to like, drive... Do you drive a plane, pilot a plane um, down the runway, but he's getting stuck on the chocks, um, you know, under the tyres. So he's, he's struggling to get it over. Uh, Kara is, is watching all of this madness unfold. And I think she she does it. I think she takes out a guard or a guard comes up to her. Yeah, she's she like on a out. horse and someone grabs her and she just punches him. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, uh she does her bit and then that's sort of enough to get her to like realize that she should be in closer and and trying to find James I guess um there's russian people like there's things on fire now at this point this is like a little bit of tanker-esqueness where there's just a big firefight happening in the background um explosions and stuff i think at one point cameron is using the digger as like a shield against the bullets and charging into some some russians and then they throw a grenade and he catches it in the thing and then like leaves that to drive off. He jumps off and the, the digger explodes on them. It's all it's all a bit much, you know? It's the typical stuff. Yeah, it, it's very much that tanker scene. It's it's maybe a little bit more interesting because you've got an, an Afghan resistance versus Russian soldiers. Like, that's pretty cool. But it, this kind of ties into what I said a little bit. I was pretty checked out at this point and nothing really here kind of checked me back in. It's just your generic fighting so it's not bad, but it just feels long and I was kind of ready for this film to be over. So it's like, I just wasn't enjoying this really at all. But again, by itself, it's not really bad. Well, it's quite interesting as well because Bond is not really doing much in this scene. Bond is just in the cockpit trying to fly this plane forward and everything is happening around him. Yeah, she's giving like thumbs different. up from the cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, oh, it's all good. He's, he's quite happy. He's getting away with it because Koskov, I think, orders to try and block the runway. Um with i think that's when they try and use a tanker to like block the way but it just 
blows up eventually somehow, probably a grenade. Um, and then I can't remember what happens. <laughs> so, yeah, so the woman is trying, like, Okara is trying to get in. Uh, and I think she just kind of does. Like, she just waves. So Okara waves on the horse. And Bond opens up the back. And she she rides in. So she gets onto the plane. And we see Kuskov and... Oh, I really hate these names. Like, I've written down, like, <laughs> Yorgi and Milkman in my notes. Which is okay. why I'm really confused. <laughs> oh, but, at this point, um, at this point, Kara's in the Jeep. I think she got... She got hit off the horse. Oh, so she, that, that makes more sense. Okay, but yeah. But that would have been she, a lot cooler if she like went on, on the plane on horse. That would have been a great shot. Yeah, I would have liked that. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, she drives, she gets in a Jeep and drives the Jeep onto the plane and then Bond shuts it up. So we see uh, Kuskov and Necros in a different Jeep. So they put up alongside the the plane, but we see another plane is coming to land on the runway that, that Bond is and everyone is at. So Bond is able to pull up at the last second and we see Necros jump towards the door of the plane, but we don't actually see if he gets on or not. And then the plane that was coming to land then crashes into the Jeep that Kuskov is in and it flips and like blows up. But then he just gets out and is fine. And then the Jeep blows up again. (laughs) I don't understand why he doesn't die there. I don't get it. Like normally that would have been him dead. I know why, because they they have him in a later scene. Yeah. But it looks so weird to see a James Bond film get out and be like, oh, that was weird. Like Like, a bit of like black on his face (laughs) and one cut. That was close. It's like in a like in a cartoon where there's a bomb and it's like it blows up and they just have like all the char on their face. Yeah. Yeah, like if they knew that the character was gonna come back later on, why did they even have that? I just don't understand. I don't get it. They just just wanted him out of the picture. But he didn't even have to be on the Jeep. You could have just had uh, Necros on the jeep and have yeah, just, Kukos out the way. Just leave him behind. He comes back later. It's all good. It's just weird. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so like, yeah, so he's now out of the picture after dying, or probably didn't die, um, or should have died. Um, so Bomb, Bond is all happy-ish. Well, as happy as Bond ever gets and says, uh, you fly the plane, Kara. I'm going to go and defuse the bomb because the bomb is still going off. So uh, he shuts the plane door, the one that uh, Necros jumped through, or did he? I don't. We we don't find out until two seconds later. But he goes to defuse <laughs> it, and then Necros starts choking him with the netting. Uh, so that's his thing, everyone. He he's a choker. He likes to corrupt people, mm. uh, which we haven't really talked about that gimmick all that much. I don't really mind it, but I think the fact that we haven't talked about it kind of speaks volumes to the fact that it's just like. A bit. Of, it's not a bad gimmick, but it's kind of a bit of a nothingy gimmick for a henchman. I think the more interesting thing about Necros is is the musical cue, as I mentioned earlier. I think that's something that I don't know. It just makes whenever you see him. I don't know if it actually happens now in this playing bit. Probably not because there's probably more no, dramatic music imagine. playing. But previously, when we've seen him, it has usually had that theme, and I, I like when a character has a little theme. It's like the same with. Um, Mr. Winter, Mr. Kid, when they had their own little theme as well. And that always played when they were on screen. So I like that more than the whole, yeah, the, the strangling thing. That's his gimmick, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the same approach to henchmen that they've had before, where they just find a little thing that makes him a gimmick, but it's a very, like, nothingy thing. But yeah. I don't mind, because they don't... Yeah, it's not the focus of this. This isn't a Jaws or anything. This is just a man who has some sort of gimmick, but that's kind of about it. Um, so yeah, so he's choking it with the netting because there's all these like uh, 
I think it's the opium, isn't it, in all these yeah. bags? And they're all covered by netting to keep it down. So Bond is being choked by this, and Bond gets his knife out, which uh, Necros is slamming his hand, but Bar- Bond is able to cut off the netting. And we see Kara in the front looking a bit worried. I don't think she knows what's going on, but she's just worried, so she just starts hitting buttons, and that opens like the back door up uh, with the landing kind of ramp at the back there, and starts like pulling the plane up as well. And this causes the netting to go flying out the back of the plane where the door is. And we see Bond and Necros just hanging onto it for like dear life. Um, And there's a little bit of tension here because the bomb timer, Bond was never able to defuse it. So the timer is still going down. But we see Bond and Necros hanging on this netting, which is hanging out of the plane. Um, So they start climbing up and Bond punches Necros a little bit. Necros goes and gets the knife and tries to stab at Bond, but he misses. Um, so Bond, after a little bit of struggling, is able to get the knife and starts like cutting a load of the bags, of which like a load of them just then go flying off the plane. Um, and I wrote here that the music was kind of lame. I don't actually remember it. Um, oh, it goes back to my point of like, yeah, it's a very mixed bag. This soundtrack, some of this stuff is just a little bit rubbish. I don't remember the music, but I, I do re- like in terms of a stunt, because. Obviously, there are insert shots of Dalton and the Necros actor where they're clearly on a soundstage. But even then, I think it's quite well matched to the actual stunt that they are doing in real life, where there is this net hanging out of the back of a plane and there are these stuntmen hanging on. And I think that looks really cool. Like, it's definitely the money shot. You know, it's the it's the big it's the big ending. And I, I think it's a good stunt. I like it. I think it's a good stunt. But the visual is a little bit off for me that these two guys hanging out of the plane like this. And it's a little bit forced how they got there. But, you know, again, it's impressive, but it felt a little bit forced to me. Mm. Um, But yeah, so they're fighting and the Necro starts kind of slipping. So he grabs onto Bond's leg and then eventually he slipped down and grabs onto his boot. So Bond quite slowly cuts off the laces of his boots and the guy's like, oh, no, 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 no. And then it comes off and we see Necro's falling from the plane, holding the boot and screaming. Um, and then we have a very weird shot of the netting like blowing really aggressively in the wind <laughs> and you see bond hanging onto it like desperately hanging onto it as it's being flung up um, and then they cut to inside the plane where you see bond gets whipped back into the plane um, so he can then run and shut the door but that looked really awkward to me the man just being like flapped like that i i can't really visualize that part in my head but it is funny how that, yeah, like, oh, now it now it flips back in. <laughs> I guess I guess all of the stuff had been, like, dropped off, so it's lighter. Right? Yeah. I it, guess it, that makes sense. There is, like, some logic behind There's it. There's logic it, to it, It yeah. looked a little bit silly. Um, so, yeah, bomb, Bond is looking for the bomb. He hears the bomb. It's ticking. He's looking for different bags. He doesn't know what it is. And he goes and finds it. It's almost nearly done. He hits the button and he diffuses it with two seconds left. And he comes back into the cockpit and Kara's like, what happened? What happened to Necros? And he says, he got the boot. Uh, Which I think that's pretty good. It is good. It is good. But the thing is, in my notes, as he was actually doing the thing where he was cutting the laces and and Necros falls off, I was expecting there to be a quip there. I guess just I've been conditioned with all the Roger Moore films we've watched. That's where Roger Moore would have said something. So I I even made a note of like, oh, they're not doing a quip. That's quite interesting. There's no pun there. But then it's like, oh, no, wait. Like, 20 seconds later, there it is. There yeah, we it still is. got time for a quick pun. Oh, yeah. 
I liked it though. I thought it was quite strong. I mean, I like the visual of, Necro- of uh, Necros falling, holding the boot in his hand. Mm. Like it doesn't really tie into the villain. There's no arc here, but it doesn't need to really. It's just the henchman dying in a silly way with a boot and Bond having a line for it. Very classic exactly. Bond, but I liked it. Very enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, so while this is happening, we then see that Kara is about to crash the plane. <laughs> just like, what an idiot. <laughs> hey have you ever flown a plane before i mean i would i wouldn't be like what happened james how's your day wait weekend plans while the plane is like shooting towards a giant cliff Uh, yeah that's true so this was all a bit silly to me because this is like the cool down where he's beaten it and they've, they've stopped the bomb so everything's cooled down. And then we see they're about to crash. And all the music then swells up again. And it's like, oh, no, da 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 like, uh, And then Bond takes over, pulls up at the last second, and they are able to, to clear it. And we then see the plane flying above, and we see all the Afghan resistance on horses just fleeing the base, being chased by these tanks. And they cross this bridge to get into their stronghold, and the tanks follow um and bond decides to go around and he takes the explosives that he has and he throws it down onto the bridge and the bridge explodes then it stops all the tanks from getting there and like we actually get quite a impressive bridge collapsing here which seems so odd because this just has nothing to do with anything really like yeah there are some story stuff that's tied in and it is bond repaying the favor with cameron and helping him out but it's like they seem to put a lot of effort into this i don't maybe it was just a model and maybe that's why it's like this but it's like why are we watching this bridge collapse it's just yeah. got nothing to do with anything oh uh, yeah i listen i like i'm always a big fan of like model stuff and like model stunts and yeah oh, great good good exploding bridge but the scene, this whole bit should have ended after Necros. Like, it didn't need the whole crashing into the thing. It didn't need this bridge. It doesn't need the next bit where they're running out of fuel. I just think it was all a bit too much. Yes, I was just exhausted by all of this. Um, but yes, yeah, so to wrap it up, uh, they then see that the fuel tank has been shot, so they're low on fuel. Bond says, I hope we can make Pakistan, but the plane just stops midair, or the engine stop, or the propellers stop. And he tells... Carl, get into the jeep now. Uh, so he opens up the back door. He gets into the jeep, but then he like enables a parachute that's attached to the jeep. But like the plane, he says like there's nowhere to land, and then it cuts to the plane seeing a really good place to land. Yeah, they I just didn't get that. shoot out of it with the jeep. Yeah, I don't get that. It's weird. It is weird. Uh, so then the plane keeps going and just crashes and explodes and. They're in the Jeep and they're just driving and they see some signs for Kariachi and Bond's like, oh, I know a good restaurant there. We can just make dinner and they drive off. But yeah, this wasn't really bad. I like the stuff with Necros and stuff, but God, it was just like, just not into this anymore. Just really checked out. (laughs) It was just a little bit too long. And this was a film I paused quite a bit when I watched as well. Because normally I would feel this way when I watched it all in one go, but this is one where I did take some breaks to go get some food and stuff. Not for bad reasons, I just ended up pausing it a bit. So maybe that made it worse. I was just just really not interested in this, or, or some of this anyway. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of this whole ending in, in Afghanistan. I just think it's, as you say, it's too long. 
I do like the stunt. I do like the plane stunt with Necross. That I'm very happy to keep that in there. But just a lot of the, a lot of the stuff before it lasted too long, and a lot of the stuff after it just it could have just cut after that that plane stunt. Um, I mean, yeah, I do I do get why they've you know, as you say repaying the favor to to Cameron whatever. But yeah, just too much, um, which is a shame because I as I say I've really liked a lot of the earlier parts of this film, but it's. Um, it's kind of like going a bit back into the the template that we've talked about in the past where the ending is just a bit dragged out and you end up being a bit checked out, which is why A View to a Kill was quite refreshing in that I actually quite like the ending to A View to a Kill. And now we're back here where it's just, I kind of want it to be done. Yeah, this is nowhere near as bad as Octopussy by any means. But yeah, as you say, A View to a Kill got this right and had some good character moments and had some good stunts and... It didn't extend the ending for the sake of extending the ending. They kind of wrapped it all up quite nicely. And this one is just like, oh, yeah, it's just too much. Um, and it's it's a shame because I feel like I'm repeating myself, but these films just need to be edited down. And it's something I really, really don't like about the John Glenn era. Like, he can keep his pigeons and whatever and <laughs> all this weirdness, but it's just <laughs> he needed to take 10 minutes off every film. And if he did, he would have a much, much better set of films in his arsenal. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Okay, so let's wrap this up then. Um, we, we're not done yet, though, because we still have Koskov and Whittaker to deal with. Uh, so we're cutting to um, nighttime. We're back at Whittaker's um, house that we've seen before in Tangier. Um, and Felix is giving Bond intel because Bond is trying to infiltrate um, Whittaker's estate. Um, he's come to try and find out where Koskov is, and we see inside, like like a big kid, uh, Whitaker is playing with like one of his dioramas of a battle, might have been Gettysburg or something like that. I have um, to interrupt you. I apologise. This is where we have the bird jump scare. Oh, so when okay. Bond's in the bushes getting the info from Felix, he just turns and there's just a bird, and it's right him. there. We are, um, yeah. Whitaker is just playing with his like, big diorama. <laughs> and, and Bond is there, he's pointing his gun at Whitaker because he's managed to get in and uh, he's asking for Koskov and Whitaker's asking for the opium, which has obviously all gone up in flame, as Bond says. And so then this is where this is where Whitaker gets to use all of his gadgets, his own gun gadgets, because he has his little remote control and he uses it to open the drawers on the other side of this diorama where Bond is standing. Um, like to hit him into hit him in the legs basically and distract him and also as a chance to get his own gun um which is a really goofy looking gun bond's obviously there with just his pistol his water and uh Whitaker has like this kind of machine gun automatic machine gun but it's got like a shield around the top of it so his face is covered by this bulletproof shield which bond decides to shoot over and over again despite the fact he could have shot him in the leg or something. Don't know why. Well, um, yeah, I, well, I think that's mostly for the audience, but I think the idea is that he is fully protected himself because he's got body armor over everything apart from his head, but he has this machine gun though, where he has this like bulletproof plastic, so he's completely covered and can't be hit. I guess, yeah, I guess it was, it's, yeah, you're right to presume that he is all, he's, he's all equip, equipped out because he is a bit of a nut, like a gun nut. But it just it just looks kind of dumb. <laughs> like, yeah, this is kind of stupid. Like this is this is one of the villains. He's got this little plastic thing over his face, um, and he's also using all these little on his little remote control. Bond is like hiding around a corner, and Whitaker uses it to 
start this little cannon model next to Bond and that, that blows up near Bond and gets him to move out of the way. Um, eventually Bond does hide behind a statue of Wellington, I want to say. Oh, yeah, it's got to be, right? I think it's like that because he says something about, oh, I know you'd, I know you'd go and hide behind British statue or whatever. Um, and that's where he plants his keychain. It's still going, except this time we're using the plastic explosives because as Whitaker goes and stands in front of the statue, Bond does his wolf whistle and that causes the statue to keel over and crush crush Whitaker into his own little diorama. Presumably kills him. I mean, it's probably quite a heavy statue. Um, yeah, it does. Like, I think you see him because other people enter the room and they're like, oh, look at that dead guy. He's definitely dead. Yeah. Uh, although Bond is about to be caught out by one of Whitaker's guards um, like behind him. Although thankfully Pushkin arrives just in time and takes out the guard because he's here looking for Koskov too. And he's found him. Um, Koskov's come in, like, surrounded by guards, and he does, like, his little phony thing uh, to to Pushkin, like, thank God you're alive, and, like, being really smarmy and weasley like he has been throughout the whole film, but obviously Pushkin's not buying it at all, and says, uh, send him on the next plane to Moscow um, in, a dip- in a diplomatic bag, which... Not quite sure what that means exactly. I mean, uh, not a body bag, right? It's not going to kill I, him. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they're saying kill him, but don't know. I, I guess he's under arrest, and Koskov is obviously uh, being being caught. Um, we haven't then, talked much about Brad, have we? No, I mean, this he's just this not is, in the film enough, is he? He's not. He's not in the film very much, and I think. I don't know what it is about that character, but I just never really got any sort of villainy from him. I think it's because whenever we've seen him before, he's been quite cheerful. (laughs) He's been quite cheerful eating lobster. And so I just can't take him very seriously. Yeah, he's got that very like optimistic, friendly American vibe where everything's a great time and awesome. Yeah. He's a little bit like that, but he's just, yeah, it's like other John Glenn films. He's just a little bit diluted. I thought this scene was actually pretty good. But as I said before, just exhausted, just wanted to, it to be done. But I thought the scene itself was actually quite fun. Them in this room, he using all the different weapons and Bond being able to take it over the key ring. I think that stuff's really fun because it's supposed to be Bond with his PPK versus this guy with all the guns and he wins with his keychain. So that's pretty cool. It's a fun scene. It's just a scene that's come too late. Like this is over two hours at this point. It's like, it's too late for this. I think part of the issue with this film I have is the fact that it is one of these Bond films that has two villains. It's not uh, It's not the last time we see this. I, I'm thinking you know, The World Is Not Enough is, has a similar sort of idea about two villains. Yeah, Golden um, Eye as well. Golden Eye as well, yeah. I just think with this one in particular, where there's, there's two, and there's definitely been more time spent with Koskov, but even then I just feel like they're both quite weak. I don't know. I never really... I think tied to the fact that I don't think they had a very good like villain storyline anyway, I just never really kind of got much villainy or much um, presence from them on screen, especially coming from someone like Christopher Walken. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, that's a high bar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... I agree with you, although I would say they're not, they're not trying to do that. There's like no real attempt to make it like a, a Zorin or a Drax so I didn't mind it too much but it would have been stronger probably without Brad Whitaker in here at all if it was just Pushkin and 
yeah, if it was just Pushkin versus Kuskov and it was focused on that, because I really like Pushkin, and I actually quite like Kuskov in the end, because I like how slimy he is and how super friendly he is towards everyone and all these plots and schemes that he's doing. I think that's quite fun. I quite like that approach. Um, but yeah, it just gets a bit lost in itself with all the different schemes and plans. Yeah, I think Koskov could have been a fun villain, but kind of had to share too much with Whitaker in this case. So yeah, uh, after that scene in Whitaker's estate, wondering about what happens to Kara, well, she's back playing her cello um, in the in the, the concert hall, being conducted by John Barry. A little cameo there oh, by really? John That's Barry. That's cool. Yeah, he's actually doing... I mean, I guess that's what he does, right? So they just said, hey, do you want to be in the film and do some conducting? And he um, said no, and they said, go, go on, come on. <laughs> we'll pay you. <laughs> so, all right, then. <laughs> so, yeah, she's there playing the cello, um, gets, like, a standing ovation. I think it's actually meant to be... Like, she is the star of this show, because later on you see a poster, and it's, like, Cara Malova World Tour or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's really dumb. Like, for no reason, she's now, like, a superstar cello player. So, all right, fine. Listen, she was practicing before. She's <laughs> It's the gunshot in the cello that made the difference. <laughs> yeah, she uses any other cello, she's useless. Yeah. Um but yeah, after the after the show has finished, um she goes to go see M. M's there. As well as uh Gogol is there <laughs> as well. <laughs> I was so surprised what? by this. I was honestly convinced that was it for this character, but he's still here. Can't believe it. Um, but yeah, as we know, he is now no longer the head of the KGB. That's Pushkin. Um, he is now in charge of like foreign foreign service. Um, and he's been able to give Kara like this visa that means she can travel really easily. <laughs> I don't know. It's just really funny seeing him still there. It's great. I really love seeing him in there. It's just, it's Gogol, man. <laughs> just be like, hey, oh man. Yeah, great. So cool he's here. Uh, you get a little moment where um, all of the um, resistance, the Afghan resistance, they turn up, they like barge their way in. They've been late because they were caught up in the airport, but they uh, they, they wanted to make an effort to to show up. Um, some I can't remember who says about Bond. It might have been Kara or was it Gogol? Someone says about Bond, like where's Bond? And M says that he's still on assignment, which is obviously very sad for Kara. She wants him to be there. So she goes back to her dressing room. And as she's there, she sees from behind a sort of um, divider the the keychain, a hand, hold out the keychain and, and whistle. She goes behind and there's Bond. And uh, he says that he wouldn't have uh, wouldn't want to miss this performance. And of course, we end with them kissing and getting a nice little, oh, James, just before the credits roll. The end. I'd, I'm not that mad about this scene because... I was just so tired, I just didn't care. I was like, go, go, hooray! And then everything else was like, whatever, white noise. But I thought this was just pretty dumb. But it's just because it's all about Kara and it's another comedy scene. It's supposed to be funny, like Cameron storming into the room. Mm. And then M, like they say, like, we had trouble getting through the airport security. And M's like, I can't imagine why. He's like, M, come on! Ba-dum, bum, ba-dum, bum. Bam. Uh, but yeah it's supposed to be like the fun stuff and it's not as bad as other ones you know it is moving away from the formula that we had with roger moore a little bit but i don't need all these characters in a room and everything's amazing for everyone and screw cara like why is she suddenly so good at cello like forget that like i just didn't buy it it just felt too like hollywood 
and everyone has a laugh in a room and everything's great. It is a bit like, let's get the whole gang back together at the end, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's very much that. Like They were two steps away from doing like a dance routine or singing <laughs> I'm a Believer, like the end of Shrek. Oh my god. Now that would have been something. Yeah, I don't know. It is a bit schmancy, this ending. But it is the ending, at least. <laughs> Although, the weird thing about this is that the credits then start playing, and like this like romantic 80s pop song plays. Like, we yeah. don't get the living daylights, we get a completely new song that we haven't heard before. It's like, wow, that's... I guess they were really keen to get like another hit, so they just wrote two songs <laughs> and released them, just to make sure one of them was like a hit for them. Yeah, cover all bases. Yeah. And I don't know if this song got remixed in the rest of the soundtrack, because by the time I got to this song, it was kind of too late, but I'm assuming maybe this song is the soundtrack for the, the romantic scenes that got remixed. I, think it, I don't know. I think you might be right. I think it is. I want to go back and check now, but I think you might be onto something there. Yeah, which is just makes it feel very backwards. It's like, oh, now we're hearing the song afterwards, but I don't recognise it. Like, I don't mm. recognise it from it. It's just makes sense that's how they would do it so very strange yeah but that's it we get the end of the credits and it says james bond will return it doesn't say the name or anything like that that's just where we're at now i think i don't think we're going to get that for a good while i want to say or ever again i think we might just be done with that yeah actually yeah that's interesting when so what would the last one have been from a few to a kill yeah so the wrong name (laughs) yeah oh oh dear but yeah that was uh the living daylights was it me or you last time i genuinely can't remember um we really should just remember like who's odd and who's even that would be the easier way to remember. yeah you're right okay so who oh i think you went first last time okay i think so i'm gonna go first now and just get this out of the way yeah, because, no, yeah, you're right. I did go first because afterwards you were just like, what Tom said. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, I'm a little bit sad actually because I think, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, I watched this and I didn't, I liked a lot. I didn't, I didn't hate that much of it. And yet I didn't really love it coming away from it. But in the discussion of this, I think I've now disliked it more <laughs> as we've been going through it, which is a shame. Um, there, there are elements of this film that I really liked. I really liked all the nighttime. I just, I don't know why. I really liked the nighttime Bratislava scene at the beginning. I liked the funfair scene in Vienna. I liked Bond, um, you know, fooling Kara effectively with these scenes and, and actually and not just shooting people or whatever. He's doing doing his job in another me- uh, method. Um, and I really, I do really like Timothy Dalton. I think we haven't really spoke much about how he's playing Bond but, you know, he is obviously very different from Roger Moore and he he is such a breath of fresh air coming from seven Roger Moore films to see this actor that is younger and you're not getting such a uh, juxtaposition between him and like the stunt doubles and whatever. I, I do buy him a lot more as a mid-30-year-old James Bond character, which is what he's meant to be from the books. And, you know, I, I, interviews in with Timothy Dalton at the time, it's very clear that he got that element of the character, like he read the books and clearly understood that was what Fleming's interpretation of the character was as well. Um, it's just a shame that I think a lot of a lot of the second half of this film just really, I just got bored of. As I say, I just really, the Afghanistan scenes just lasted too long. Um, and the, the, the villain, the dual villains, I think they didn't really work together very well. 
maybe one on their own, maybe just Kuskov would have worked quite well, but sadly that's not what we got. But I am going to say I did like Kara. I'm going to I'm going to defend Kara. <laughs> I think she was very childlike, she was very naive and very kind of starry-eyed, but I'm just they they kind of went all in with that and they didn't just try and dumb down the Bond girl when needed to progress the plot. They just had her be a very childlike character all the way through. And I can kind of respect that. Um, so, yeah, very, very middling is what I would say for this film. And that's kind of reflected in where I put it. Um, I am, I actually am moving it from my original position, having now discussed it with you, Tom. But I'm going to put this right below Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, I'm putting it at number 10. I did it. <laughs> you did it. I, I it. actually did have it. The whole it. Time. I, I actually had it above Diamonds Are Forever very briefly, very briefly. But I think now, thinking back to the, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, I would rather watch that. So yeah. Oh yes. Oh, but that means I'm going to be way off of your one because I think you really did not like this. Well, <laughs> see, I'm happy. I was a little bit worried about You Only Live Twice. I thought maybe you actually disliked this more than that film, but I knew you couldn't. I know you would have had way more fun with Diamonds Are Forever than this. That's yeah, why yeah. I said that as the bar. Yeah, no, that was, that was quite well well done there. Well done. Thank you. So for me, I think, yeah, I do want to talk about Tim for a bit because as you say, we didn't really talk about him much. And I think that's a whole other episode we could talk about just Timothy Dalton as Bond and how it's different. It's a really interesting topic. But my kind of takeaway with this is that I really liked him as Bond, but he still hadn't really figured out what his bond was or him and the team hadn't like this was still a little bit rough as a first film similar to what we had with live and let die similar to what we had with dr no like they just sometimes take a little bit of time to figure it out and i got that here so some elements worked and i think the next film leans more into those elements the revenge and the emotion and being kind of more of an actual agent works quite well but the the romantic stuff doesn't kind of work and the drink stuff like they kind of force all of it down your throat and not all of it works but again i don't criticize it too much for it it's just it's the first film of a new bond it's always going to be a little bit rough and i find this one a little bit rough as well so as a film as a whole this is just such another john glenn film and i'm really sick of john glenn at this point uh we've only got one more after this but this just feels so similar to the other ones where it's just like it's either just kind of average or not that great and it's too long so it's kind of really disappointing that we get a brand new bond and a lot of people are recast and it's supposed to be a fresh star but they keep the same director and it just means that this film has a very similar film to the other ones and has similar problems with the pacing and with the complicated plot and the villains not being as good and the action scenes being just like okay like, this just feels like such another one. But the problem with me with this film when, say, compared to A Few to a Kill is that I had a lot more fun with A Few to a Kill, where I yeah. didn't quite have as much fun with this one. Far from bad, I still think it's pretty solid and worth a watch. And the biggest criticism that I would say is, as you can probably guess, it's just too long, just like the other John Glenn films. Like, I'm really sick of that. Um, and it just needed to be cut down by like 10 minutes and it would have been a lot stronger because the ending is just exhausting. And that's something that I personally just can't stand. If a film is too long, that just 
really hits me hard and I get really frustrated by that. So to me, this kind of frustrated me by the end. But there's still stuff I liked. I think Timothy Dolan's still a ton of fun. I still like the Saunders stuff. I think some of the setting is pretty solid. I think Pushkin is a great character. And I still quite like uh, the General Kuskov as a villain as well, as kind of this slimy villain as well, which is some of it just gets a bit diluted in how long this is. So yeah, nothing really remarkable, but nothing really all that bad apart from kind of the pacing of it. And also Car is pretty bad, but like there's been other Bond films with bad Bond girls. Having a bad Bond girl to me doesn't matter that much. I'm not going to get that upset by it. It just kind of is what it is. Um, and it doesn't really kind of ruin anything. It just doesn't elevate it. So for me, this was kind of an easy one to rank where it's like, well, I like A Few to a Kill more because it's another John Glenn film, but I just had more fun with that one. But I think this one is just better for your better than for your eyes only um i just got less annoyed by this film than for your eyes only so for me it goes slap bang in between those films at number 12 so below a few to a kill but above for your eyes only yeah i should have known a view to a kill you lot yeah well, i don't know why i didn't take that into account well i am strongly considering moving mm-hmm. that up as well i don't want to oh, do really? it yet but i the more i think about that film the more i'm like yeah that was actually a good time <laughs> Maybe it that was needs a good to time. Up. Let's just go back to that one. Yeah, we'll do it again next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually do have a question though. Yeah. Um, does Pushkin ever come back? Oh, I hope so. Because I don't think he does. Oh. But I, I, I didn't really mention Pushkin. But I did like Pushkin too. For how little he was in the film, I think he was a good character. And it, you know, we, I don't think he gets the same treatment that Gogol does or did, where he was in so many films afterwards. I think this might be it. That'd be sad. I really want to see him back, even just for the next one. It could have been in Goldeneye. Ah, oh, well, he's definitely not, but... <laughs> definitely not there, <laughs> he could but he could have. have. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, it's interesting with this film, because, yeah, because I feel like I'm going to forget it all in a month. Well, that's just the way it is, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes they stick, sometimes they don't. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but I can kind of see why this one kind of gets a little bit forgotten. I guess I can also see why some people really like it because it is Timothy Dalton and it does do things differently and it does kind of have its own balance and kind of elements that it does in its own way. But also for me, this was just kind of just a really forgettable one, I think, for how long it is. Yeah, I I, I think I'll even though I've ranked it above for your eyes only, I feel like in a month or two, I'll remember for your eyes only more. I think that was a more distinct film. Um, it's just... Yeah, this one didn't bother me as much as that one did. I'm looking forward to License to Kill. I think this was Timothy Dalton's first. I think that they do find their footing a bit more with the character then. And I specifically, I know that the villain is good. I, I, I'm excited to see Sanchez because I remember him being a very good villain. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that as well because License to Kill is the one I remember. It's the one that stands out to me. And yeah, let's see what happens when Timothy Dalton does another one. And it's his second film and is more established too bad john glenn is also back but <laughs> oh well can't have it all do we hate john glenn now we i don't hate john glenn but john glenn is similar to roger moore where it's like there's some good things he brought to the franchise he just had the franchise for far too long yes i think that's a fair analysis like somebody else should have directed the living daylights and license to kill in my opinion a few yes. to a kill was pretty good and he should have just left it there and fresh blood should have come in agreed Oh, so so that's The Living Daylights. I, I don't have that much more to say about it. It kind of just is what it is. <laughs> like, it's just a tick box. We've watched it. So we've done that episode. Let's move on to the next one. Pretty much. Yeah. 
I don't really have much else to end on. I might go make a uh, 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 Cara. We love Cara forum though. No, I feel like she needs she needs some loving as a character. So. <laughs> she doesn't need some loving. No, <laughs> I'm going to make a Pushkin fan club then. If you get a oh, I see. All right. Well, we'll see who gets more followers. It's definitely oh. going to be yours. <laughs> I don't know. There might be Cara people out there. She's still alive after all, so that's big points for her. Yeah, let's just make that very clear. As of recording, she is still alive. Oh, if she dies before we publish this. Oh, this is <laughs> so yeah. bad. That would be bad. That would be like when, yeah, like the Queen dies or something, and they have to, oh, I have to change programming. We have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, we have to wear all black and change everything. <laughs> oh, okay. So, any last thoughts before we go, Joe? Um,. No, not really. Apologies to Mariam Debo. Okay, cool. This is for you, Mariam. Yeah. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to the Bond Revisited Podcast, episode 15. The Bond Revisited Podcast will return next week for License to Kill. <laughs>